Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started this evening. Um, the Vaughns for always, but it looked really good. So, so check that out. Um, but we do want to start with a few announcements, and then we'll jump into our Revelation study. And so uh, a couple announcements I want to make sure you know about. Um, one thing we're really excited about is our Baptism Sunday is coming up here uh, the 26th. So that's actually two Sundays. So in two Sundays, we'll have our Baptism Sunday. Uh, this Sunday, we have communion. So don't forget about that. We'll have communion at the end of our morning service. Um, also want to let you know, we do have our second church membership class that's going on this Sunday at 430. And then uh, just a reminder as well, next Wednesday, because of Thanksgiving, no evening service, no Wednesday service. Um, I know it's hard to believe we're already that close to Thanksgiving. I couldn't believe it. Um, when I was thinking of that today, I thought, well, thanks. November just started, right? Like it's only been a day or two, but, um, so that's just a reminder about that. Um, and then also just some heads up. I mean, be looking ahead. Obviously we got a lot of stuff coming up in December. Um, ladies events coming up, men's prayer breakfast is coming up. Teens have their mall hunt in December, um, Christmas decorating in December. Uh, another thing that we just got locked in for that we do every year is our bell ringing for Salvation Army. So that's coming up in December. Um, Kids musical is coming up in December. So lots of things are going on. And so please just keep, uh, number one, thinking about those things, how you can plug into those events. But number two, let's be praying for each one of those events. Um, and so uh, there is actually already a sign-up sheet as well for the bell ringing. Uh, we do two days of bell ringing at Kroger in Emily City. Um, and this year, um, it is 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. So they're two-hour shifts, and we look for two people per shift. So two people ring for two hours, and then over the course of two days, we want to fill all of those spots. So if you have somebody you'd like to ring with, you can just sign your, each other up. If you don't, if you want to ring, but you don't have someone to ring with you, um, just put your name down on what time works for you, and then we'll kind of go backwards and kind of fill in as we can. Um, love last year, last couple years actually, we've been able to fill both those days um, all times. And so we want to keep being able to do that. Um, again, it's a 90, 90 or 95% of all the money that comes into that local kettle stays in Lapeer County. And so you're helping people in our community. So um, it's a great way to serve and it's hopefully it won't be too cold. Uh, sometimes it's cold. Sometimes it's warm. You never know. Um, today it was almost 60. So you just never know what you're going to get in Michigan. Um, what's that? It's lots of fun. It's lots of fun. I think Lynn has more fun than I do doing it, but it's a lot of fun. I have a lot of fun. Nobody has as much fun as Lynn, though, let's be honest. I mean, really. Um, so, uh, so that's all going on. Um, also, a reminder about <coughs> excuse me, um, the host, or housing of the homeless of Lapeer County. And so this was an opportunity that was presented to us, honestly, just a couple of weeks ago. And so it's kind of a little bit right around the corner. Um, but when the, when I was approached with this opportunity, I said, absolutely, we'll do our very best to be able to supply all the volunteers and stuff. Um, and I was kind of told if, uh, we cannot staff all the volunteers that are needed, there is another church in the, in the community that is willing to step in if needed and send some people and stuff. So, um, I'm so happy to hear that. I hope it'll happen. I hope we'll be able to do this. Um, but it's December 24th through the 31st is the week that we're going to be housing overnight. So 6 p.m. until 8 a.m. 
I think it's 8 a.m. Um, and so there's sign-up sheets at the Welcome Center. They're on a clipboard. So you'll just see one on top, but there's multiple sign-up sheets under there. So we're looking for drivers. We're looking for people to help make breakfast, people to help make a dinner, um, financial donations to go towards food for those things. Um, I was encouraged not to accept food donations. So don't bring orange juice or milk or eggs because we never know. Apparently, they don't know how many they're going to have. It could be Two to three people, it could be up to, I think they said 20. Um, so we really don't know day to day um, because it's up to those individuals whether or not um, they're going to come. Uh, I was told that, um, one second, I was told that um, depending on how cold it is kind of equals how many people come. If it's warm out, we'll warm out for December and Christmas. We won't have as many, but if it's really, really cold, you'll have more. So we're looking for people to kind of fill in some different areas, but we don't want any uh, one person doing too much. It is also Christmas week, and we understand family and commitments and all that stuff. So we want to be okay with that too. So where you can plug in. Another thing that we need would be a man and a woman that can help uh, fill in overnight kind of as chaperones just to kind of be in the building, um, just encouraging people, keeping an eye on things, all those kind of things. And so as you have a, a leading to sign up for one of those things or a couple of those things, just go ahead and sign up. All the time slots are there. Everything's there. You can put your name and your phone number, I believe, on most spots. Um, and so as that's starting to fill in, when we get a little bit closer, we'll give you more and more information. This Sunday, there'll be an insert in the bulletin, too, to kind of, again, affirm all of this. Um, but again, this is something we've never done before. I've never done it before. So there's a, a gentleman in our church that has worked with churches before on this, and I'm kind of leaning into his expertise a lot on this. And so um, he's going to kind of be the go go between on this. And so we look forward to be, really being a blessing to the community. Avi. So I, that's a great question and one I don't know if I have a good answer to. Um, my, my understanding when I was speaking with the gentleman was it's literally day to day. So, so like it's Sunday, right? Sunday night through Saturday. So Monday during the day, depending on what we had the night before, it sounds like you go and try to prepare dinner for that group the night before and expect maybe we'll be about that. And then the next same thing, you know who you'll have in the evening, so you'll try to prepare for the breakfast, and then that next day you'll go buy whatever you need for that next meal. So it sounds like that's kind of how they do it because they said their experience is they've had people bring a bunch of food, and then, you know, the, the couple volunteers are trying to go to, like, food banks and trying to get rid of six gallons of orange juice and, you know, trays of lasagna that are just never going to get eaten. So, so that's kind of what they were saying is it's really kind of day-to-day. But again, as we get a little closer, I'm hoping we'll have more of an idea of that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really know, but that's a good question okay. for sure. Yes, 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 and that's just it, and he's, the, the gentleman I was speaking with said that you, what they were trying to do was give it away, but you can only give it away so much, and if it's like fresh food, it's not going to keep but a week in the fridge somewhere, so um, he said, unfortunately, sometimes a lot of food gets wasted, because people, you know, bring so much, and you can't give it away, you know, because, I mean, obviously, people 
aren't, the homeless people aren't able to take it with them and store it anywhere. So, um, unfortunately, that's kind of what it is. But, um, but yeah, no, so hopefully it'll be a great blessing. Um, and I know it, there's a lot of questions I have about the whole day-to-day thing. Um, to be honest, it's kind of driving me a little, my little control freak nature I have is like, eh, I don't know what to do. Um, but we're just going to trust the Lord. It's going to be great. And I'm excited that we have this opportunity to serve the community this way and wanted to do this for years. And so I'm glad that we're able to be a part of something like this. All right. And they picked the week in case you're like, oh, I wish it wasn't Christmas. I could do more. Um, it's just a week that they said, this is the week we need a church. So that was the week that was presented to us. Yeah, yeah. And there's... Yes, yep. And oh, just and as a side note, um, we do have a Christmas Eve service. Every year we do Christmas Eve service. So that, even though that technically would be the first night that we're picking people up and bringing them here, obviously we're still doing service. Um, and so we'll it'll be a little bit different in some ways. Hopefully that we'll be able to do have that group come in and then provide dinner for them after. The rest of the week, I think dinner's actually like right at 6. Um, but we are still doing our Christmas Eve service per normal. So there's a great way, hopefully, to be a blessing to whatever, whoever comes and, and whatever size group we have. So, and then there's other things that they recommend through the week that we can do. But um, honestly, it's up to them to be involved in it. They're not required to do any of the activities, you know. Um, some churches have Christmas movies playing. Some churches do different things, I guess, board games. Um, you know, one church did, did put on a little Bible study. I think one person came. So you can do stuff like that, too. Um, but obviously, it's, they're not required to do, you know, any of it. It's just come, have a good night, sleep, and get a good couple meals and be good to go. So um, what's that? Yes, that's what I'm praying for. I hope it will, I hope it will be a good blessing to the community. Um, any, uh, questions about anything upcoming? I know there's lots of stuff going on. Kids are doing shoe boxes tonight. Um, teens are doing their shoe boxes tonight. And so we're so thankful for all of that going on. Thank you for the donations. Um, Sandra said she thinks between the two groups, she should be able to do something like 18 shoe boxes potentially, um, based on, so these tables out here, you saw these when you came in, that's all donations for shoebox for Olympians. And then down the hallway, there was another table for gopher buddies. So, um, hopefully that will all equal out to be quite a few boxes. And I think I counted something like over 20 shoe boxes already. that have come in just from general people in the church. And so, um, what a praise, what a praise on that. Yes, ma'am. For the group that's coming in? Oh. Like just a Christmas present kind of a thing. Oh. You know, I don't, I don't know. I'll, I'll ask uh, the gentleman that I'm working with and see what his thoughts are on that. Um, I know there are certain things that they can use, and then there's other things that they really, I mean, get a lot of. Yeah, and you got to keep it with you somehow. Um, but if we could come up with some kind of a simple gift. Um, and there will be uh, potentially men and women here. Um, so that might even make a little bit, and that's why we need the chaperones, to be honest. Um, just to make sure everybody stays where they're supposed to stay. Um, don't need nothing else. Uh, so, um, but no, it's a great idea. And I, I could definitely mention that to that individual and see, cause that might be kind of a cool thing to do. Everyone get a little gift or something. Yeah. Very cool. Deb. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the refuge in Lapeer is who we're working with and they provide them with some level of bedding, I believe. So we don't provide any bedding. They, when we pick the group up, they'll have all of that with them. That's my understanding. So, yep. They just had a donation of sleeping bags. So mm. I'm thinking maybe that's... That's where it's going to go towards? Yeah. Sure, yep. 
Yeah, because when I first started looking at this, I thought we'd have to provide, like, cots and, you know, the whole nine. But um, it sounds like it's pretty simple. Um, I think it's just a mat kind of a thing that they sleep on. So, um, but it's just a warm place to be inside, you know. And so, um, but, yeah, hopefully, again, it'll work out great. But, yeah, they should be providing all of that. So, um, any other questions? Avi. Yes. Sure. That's a really good idea. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I wouldn't, like I said, I'll talk to him. Maybe if you guys, maybe Sarah and Avi, you guys can kind of talk. See if you guys put your heads together, come up with a couple ideas. Um, and then, yeah, if we can do like a little present gift bag thing, that'd be really cool. Yeah. Yep. So. Any other questions about any upcoming activities, events, anything like that? All right, uh, one quick reminder. Tomorrow, uh, D. Scott's memorial service will be here at the church. One o'clock is the service. Visitation will be from 12 to 1. Uh, there will be a family um, uh, interment service at the cemetery. And so they'll be doing that in the morning before they come over here. So following the service at one, we'll have lunch here. Um, and just so you guys are aware, um, again, because of the generosity of the church, because the church has been so uh, giving over the last year, um, we were able to tell the family that because D number one was a very loved member of the church, um, and we really want to do this for her and her memory. Uh, we're, the church is covering all the food, all the stuff like that, where the family's just coming and having a place to kind of celebrate her life. And so uh, I'm just passing along to you from the family how grateful they are for that, um, because obviously this was relatively a sudden passing. There wasn't a lot of time to prepare for these things. Um, and so they were very, very blessed by that, that the church would be willing to provide the food for them and, and all of that. And so we're going to get the food catered in as we normally would do. Um, but thank you for your generosity because of the generosity of the church over the last year, we're able to do that without even batting an eye. And I love that we can do that for people, especially during a difficult time like this and to be able to come alongside that family, um, be praying for the family. There are some in the family that are not followers of Christ, as far as I understand. And so again, prayerfully, what a great way to show the love of Christ, not just talk about it, but show them that we want to serve them. And so again, be praying for the service. Um, uh, Pastor Keith and I will be kind of both having a hand in the service. And so I'm excited to be able to do that with them. And um, I know uh, Renee and the girls are going to be very involved. And um, uh, Dee is kind of like a third grandmother uh, to the Corbett kids. Uh, she literally has been watching them since they were all born. Um, and in fact, there was a little thing where every time a new one would come along, Dee would bring the other one or two or three to the hospital that day and bring them in one by one to meet the new, the new baby. So um, very strong relationship there. And so be praying for the Corbett's as well, because it's like losing a grandmother. But then obviously just everyone involved with that, we're thankful to be a blessing to them. So but if there's no other questions, we'll go ahead and pray. All right. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for this time that we could gather. And Lord, thank you for this group of followers of Christ, Lord, that we can all come together just to worship you, to honor you, Lord, to lift you up. As so, a Father, as we spend some time in your word tonight, we pray that you'd be glorified and, Lord, that we'd be changed. Thank you for these encouraging words, Lord. I know in the book of Revelation, as we've said a few times now, and especially this section we're going to start moving into, there's seemingly things that don't sound very good. Uh, there's some strange writings, but there's also some very um, harsh and even things that, 
Lord, don't sound very pleasing. It doesn't make us comfortable to think about. But Lord, I pray that while these things are true and there is judgment coming and, and we pray that, that people will repent of their sins and turn to Christ and that they might be spared of these things. Lord, if we're honest, it's still, as followers of Christ, it, it does break our hearts to think about people going through these things. And so, Lord, I pray that we would, even though we speak truth, that we would have love and we'd have compassion and, and empathy for those that uh, we pray will come to Christ. And so, Lord, I, I thank you, though, for these words, because, again, while they sound harsh, they're great encouragements to the followers of Christ to know that you are a God that is, number one, Lord, in control of all things. But also, Lord, uh, you are, Lord, you are making things right. And we don't see that today. We, we wonder why people seem to be getting away with things, but you will make all things right. And there will be a, a recreation. There will be a, a restoration of all these things. And so thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. I pray it'd be an encouragement to us as we walk in this world to know that while we go through difficult seasons, difficult times, trials, Lord, we know that it is not for, for nothing, that there is a purpose and a plan, and that you are working all these things for your glory. So, Father, again, thank you so much for tonight. Lord, we do lift up also just uh, quickly, Lord, those that are uh, out hunting today. Uh, we'll be out here the next few, few days. Uh, just pray you'd give safety, awareness. Uh, Lord, may, may uh, individuals pay attention to what's going on around them. Uh, Lord, use good, sound judgment. And, uh, Lord, again, I pray you'd bless individuals as they're out uh, wanting to provide for their families. Would you just bring that for them? And Lord, again, we thank you for all that you do and glorify your name in the remainder of this service. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, because I went a little long with announcements and the refuge stuff, which is totally fine, I kind of like that about this group. We can kind of do that. Um, if you were in the other room when we were like six of us or something, um, there was sometimes it'd be like 740 and we're like, oh, we probably should get to the devotion. Let's get into the devotion. So, um, so that happened more than once. Okay. That's why Genesis took like three years. No, it didn't really take that long. It took like a year, year and a half. Yeah, maybe a year and a half. So, um, at no fault of mine, I'm sure it was all just cause everyone else. Yes. Yes. That was actually one of my favorite studies was, was that, um, study. So, um, and it was like, yeah, I think there was only like four or five of us in there for a while doing that. So that was really cool. Um, but we are going to get into Revelation. So I do have a handout for you guys. And so obviously we're not going to get through all of it. That's totally fine. But if I can get a couple volunteers that want to help hand out some, some papers, a couple guys maybe that will help or individuals. I meant guys in the generic term. Sorry. I didn't mean literally men only. Oh, yeah. You're all right. You can, I'll let you step in and help. Uh, pens. Does anyone need a pen? One of these days, I'm just going to chuck a pen to the back row. I'm just going to see if I can throw it back here. Risk poking an eye out. Anyone else need a pen? Pens? Pens? No? TJ? Pen? Yeah? Oh. You were giving me that look, and I was like, I don't know if he wants a pen or if he's just saying I'm good. Pens, pens, pens. <laughs> well, that's very gracious of you to make sure that he has a pen. You do. I'm sure he would very much agree with that. Thank you, ma'am. All right. Once everyone gets squared away. What's that? Oh, I thought it was a shock or awe. You're, oh. 
See, I want to ask, what did you guys do? But then that's another 10 minutes we're going to lose out on. So, I know, yes. She's so notorious for that. She's always getting me off track. Yeah, that's how that works. Thank you, ma'am. All right. So we are, uh, again, moving through the book of Revelation. And so the last couple weeks, uh, we spent time in... Uh, chapter 4. We spent at least, I think it was maybe one or two weeks there. We spent at least another week in chapter 5. Moving into, and I mentioned this in the beginning of our study, because of the the content of the book of Revelation, and because of the time that we have, obviously, we are going to summarize some of these things and not go as detailed through some of these portions of Revelation. Uh, So we spent a lot of time in 4 or 5. We established a lot with the seven churches um, to try to establish the theme of the book, the purpose of the book, why John was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things. Um, And so tonight and next week, uh, no, in two weeks, so you guys got to do really good. You got to keep this paper for three weeks, technically. Whew, I believe in you. You can do it. Um, let me say this, though. If, you, if, you, if you're not sure you'll remember it two weeks from now, uh, you can write your name on it and leave it with me, and I'll put it with my handouts, and we'll make sure we'll have it for you, all right? So in a couple of weeks. So, but what my goal is in this handout to get through chapters 6, 7, and 8, part of 8, not really all of 8, just the opening part. Um, and because those three or two and a half chapters all kind of go hand in hand with what's going on. So I'm trying to summarize it, but also give you enough content that you can go back, read it on your own, and be able to kind of walk through this. But I want to kind of just hit the main points of these couple chapters. So again, in the opening there, you see it says, we are moving into chapters 6 through 8 in our study and see the unfolding of the coming judgment upon the world. In Revelation 6 through 19... So that's kind of one portion of Revelation. There is mention of many different judgments, none of which are pleasant, but are believed there to draw men to Christ. So none of these judgments, nobody, no follower of Christ reads these judgments and takes joy in the judgment. We take joy and and we rejoice in the judge and in the creator and him exercising his authority, demonstrating his holiness. But no believer should ever receive joy or get joy from reading about others suffering for their sin. We should have compassion. Okay, What did Jesus feel when he looked on the multitudes and they were lost having no shepherd? He felt compassion, right? His heart broke for them. Again, He knows truth, sin will be judged, there will be punishment, wrath, all those things, and that honors God's attributes. But we as followers of Christ must be careful that we don't go, ha, you're going to get yours, okay? Like, or vengeance and all this. Want to be careful there, okay? God is the judge, he will have vengeance, but he is the one exercising that, okay? So as we read this, it's not pleasant to hear these things, but we need to be reminded that God is in control. So how do the judgments unfold? There are three series, and these are in your notes, I believe. There are three series of judgments in Revelation. The seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowl judgments. And again, seals, trumpets, and bowls represent symbolically these judgments. Okay? So you remember before we talked about the seals that were broken on that scroll? That only Christ was worthy to break these seals to reveal what's in the scroll. As he's breaking those seals, this is symbolism of coming judgment. Okay, so um, when it says the first seal, that's meant to give a word picture for us to understand, okay, this is how it's revealed. It's revealed in this way. Um, 
Most dispensationalists, and again, our church would be considered dispensational. We believe uh, that God interacts with mankind in different ways in different seasons. But salvation is always, without a doubt, by faith through grace. No matter what dispensation you're in, from Adam and Eve and receiving the instructions on the first sacrifice, to the law, to all the way through to the church, all the way into the book of Revelation. It's always by grace. Why? Because God has to extend grace to fallen man. We can't earn it. We can't merit it. We can't do enough good works. It's got to be grace. And it's by faith because we're putting our faith in the word of God. Jesus is the sacrifice that was slain for our sins. I put faith in that fact. That faith, God says, is saving faith. Now I receive grace and I'm saved. In the Old Testament, when they put their faith in that lamb that was being sacrificed, it wasn't the literal blood of the lamb that was cleansing them of their sin or or atoning for their sin. It was the faith in the word of God that God said, if we do this, that he will give us grace. So that's the same basic understanding of salvation. It's always been by faith through grace. Now, how that's communicated, how that's understood in different periods of time through Revelation changes, right? Adam and Eve had a limited understanding of certain things that we now have a fuller understanding of because we have the whole New Testament and Old Testament. So again, we believe these are symbolic judgments of things to come. Uh, there are some who debate, I skipped this line, I think. There are some who debate if these seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowl judgments happen in succession or merely restate the previous judgments. So, I said this before, we're getting into the part of Revelation where there's more and more debate. Different people have different views, and this is where it starts to kind of, well, I think it's this and I think it's that, and you're going to hear more of that. Not a lot of people debate the seven churches, right? It's pretty clear. A lot of people don't debate Revelation 4 and 5, but 6 through 19, that's where a lot of difference of opinion will come into play, okay? Depending on your view of the rapture, your view of the millennial kingdom, and, and all these things come in to play. So some basically believe that when you read the seven seals, the next seven are basically the same judgments just told from a different perspective. Others believe, no, these are actually seven, seven, and seven unique judgments that happen in succession over the course of the tribulation period. Um, again, most dispensationalists believe they will be in succession. Okay, So this is going to happen, and then another seven, and another seven. Notice also the repetition here of the number three. And what does number three represent? The Trinity, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the number seven representing perfection. So the idea, and I'm not saying this, these aren't literal. I'm just saying the, over idea, the overarching idea here is clear that the Godhead will exercise perfect judgment upon the world. That's the main idea for this next 6 through 19. Here's the theme. The Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, all involved, right? We read that in 4 and 5. The Father's involved, the Spirit's involved, and the Son's involved, right? The Lamb that was slain that receives the book or the scroll. That Godhead will exercise perfect judgment on the world. And so that's the idea of these three groupings of seven. Okay, so let's kind of dive into the text. So because we're going through quite a bit, I'm not going to read uh, all the passages. We'll pick on some passages here or there, but I will give you the sections, and then I want to encourage you, obviously, read these on your own, kind of do some, some homework on your own. So Revelation 6, just that first verse, Revelation 6, 1. 
says this, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. So you have the Lamb, which is who? Jesus, Jesus Christ. It says when he opened one of the seals. So he's only breaking one of the seals. It says, And I heard, it, I heard as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. Now that phrase, come and see, is going to be repeated a lot. Um, this is John's invitation. Hey, come and see what's happening. Why is it so important that we keep seeing that phrase, come and see, John, come and see? Why does John need to come and see what's going on? Hmm? Okay, so you can tell others, right? What were we going to say? Okay, you're fine. Revelation 1, right? You need to see these things that are going to happen hereafter. So you can write them down and reveal them. So he needs to see this because he's the one that's given the job of writing this down. And by the way, I don't know that I'd want that job. That's pretty overwhelming. Oftentimes you can only imagine. Now, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I'm not denying that. But John is still a unique individual with his own personality. And, and we see in the text, there's times where John is definitely overwhelmed by what he's seeing. I always think of Daniel, too, when Daniel sees some of the things. He's just like, I, I can't even handle this, right? And even John's trying to, in his language, and his understanding, write a word that describes what he's seeing. But I got to believe John, as soon as he wrote the word, felt that's not sufficient enough. We're going to talk Sunday about our worship and how even when we put words to worship, and it's the best words we can come up with, it still falls short of what we're really trying to say. That's kind of what I imagine John was feeling. I know I'm writing this, and, and this is what God wants me to write, but man, I can't, I, without seeing it, you're never going to get this. And so I wonder about that sometimes. So John is invited to come and see. There's this response of this thunderous sound in heaven when that seal is opened. And then verse 2 says, And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow. And a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, this whole passage, and in your notes there, letter A, six of the seals are open. And so we're going to get to the seventh one in a little bit. Um, but six of the seals are open, and this is chapter 6, verses 1 through 17. So this is the whole chapter. And so number one there in your notes, seal one, a rider on a white horse. A rider on the white horse. Now, what are these... Horsemen usually referred to as. There's how many of them? Four. And what do we what do we even in culture, Hollywood, this has been what? Yes, the something of the the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? This has been depicted in literature, arts, movies, right? And what even in Hollywood, when they use the four horsemen of the apocalypse, it's meant to portray what? Like death, destruction, chaos all of this. And so even in Hollywood, even in the culture, there's an understanding how bad this imagery is meant to be taken. So here we see this first rider on a white horse. Now, the only thing we, and there's a couple lines under each of these, jot down whatever comes to your mind as far as what you want to write down. Uh, he is wearing a crown, so we need to note that. And what is he carrying with him? A bow, right? So he's got a crown. He's wearing a crown. It was given to him. And he has a bow. Now, this is considered the spirit or the, or the one of conquest. So this is the horseman of conquest, conquering. Okay, this individual is going to conquer. There's going to be a victor, victorious way about this person. Okay. Now, I should note here, 
John is seeing this depicted as symbolism again. Don't, don't think literally during the time of the tribulation, there's going to be a guy riding around on a white horse. Like, don't think that way. This is imagery, okay? And we're going to talk about another image of this in the later part of Revelation, which I believe maybe is more, maybe a little more literal. But here, this is just symbolism. Also, um, some believe this is at the beginning of the tribulation period. So these are starting the tribulation judgments. So what we would call the seven-year tribulation period. Now, if you believe, and we, our church holds to a pre-trib, so before the tribulation, rapture of the church. So if you believe that and you hold to that, then that would have already happened sometime between the end of the seven letters to the churches and this beginning of the tribulation judgments. Okay? Now, if you believe in a mid-trib rapture, you think the rapture is going to happen, but more in the middle, then you believe there's going to be three and a half years, a rapture, three and a half years, and then Christ returns. If you believe in a post-trib rapture, so you believe rapture will happen, but after the tribulation, then most times what that means is Christ, as he's returning, the believers, the saints, will meet him in the air and then continue on with him in judgment and his second coming. Those are the three main views of the rapture. The other option is you don't believe in a rapture. <laughs> it's not going to happen. So you don't even think about it. You literally just believe in the second coming of Christ, which, by the way, we've already said this, that's orthodoxy. All of Christianity believes in the second coming of Christ. Not all Christianity believes in the rapture, and not all Christianity believes in the same type of rapture. So we can talk about the rapture, we can have conversations, we can agree to disagree. The one thing we cannot negate, we cannot say will not happen, is the second coming of Christ. That will happen, okay? Guaranteed. Acts tells us that. Acts 1. He went away like this, he's coming again, okay? So we can debate, and you maybe have, maybe have family members or friends that you get into heated conversations with or whatever about the rapture and all that. It's good to have conversation. Keep it biblical. Keep it respectful. Okay? I mean, don't insult the other person because they don't believe what you believe about the rapture. Okay? We can have a healthy conversation. But here, this would be the beginning of the tribulation period. So the rapture has already taken place, and now we start this tribulation period of judgments. Okay? As the judgments go, they're going to get worse and worse. And there's part of the tribulation that's considered the tribulation and then the second half of the tribulation is considered the great tribulation or a more severe time of judgment. Again, if you hold to a dispensational view. So this rider on a white horse, now that I've kind of given you a little bit of background. Some believe, there's, there's a couple different thoughts on who this rider is. Some actually believe that this rider is Christ coming because uh, he wears a crown. So some have suggested, if you study this in commentaries or look it up online, you might find articles or things that say, oh, we believe this is Christ. However, many debate this point because Christ comes at the end of the tribulation, not the beginning. So also note, it says he wears a crown. In the original language, this type of crown is a conquering crown. It's a ruling crown. The other kind of crown that's given to Christ is a kingly crown. The, the, when it talks about in that Christmas song, you know, crown him with many crowns, bring forth a royal diadem. That diadem is a kingly crown. This word for crown is not diadem. It's another Greek word for crown, which implies just one who conquers. Okay? Uh, the reference to the crown may merely mean this represents a world leader that will conquer his enemies. This could be, uh, you can jot this down, the king of the north, which is referenced in Revelation 13. 
In Daniel 8, there is also a reference to the king from the north, pictured with a bow in his hand. So in Daniel 8, it speaks of this king from the north with a bow in his hand. Now, some have suggested the reason for the bow in the hand being a depiction of this king of the north is because the barbarians to the north of Israel were feared for their skillful use of the bow. So John could be using this to depict this ruler, this person, this king from the north that Daniel talks about, that John's talking about, this conquering king, this leader, is going to come in and and take over, like going to overthrow his enemies. He's going to have victory over his enemies, and he's skillful. That's what I take away from this. He's skillful at it. He's, He's really good at what he's going to do. Now, most people, if you're dispensational, you believe in the tribulation and all that, most people would say this is the Antichrist. We have to be careful when we use that term, though, because there's Antichrists in the world today, right? What does 1 John 4 say? Anyone who denies that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and is God is an Antichrist or has the spirit of Antichrist in him, denying the person and work of Christ. That's what 1 John says. That's in the world today. When this term, Antichrist, which actually the word Antichrist doesn't actually appear in Revelation as a title given to anyone, um, it's given to this individual because theologians and different commentators believe that this individual will arise to power and have a charismatic way about him and will draw people to him. And also they picture you have this first leader coming on a white horse wearing a crown. And then at the end of Revelation, you have Jesus coming on a white horse to rule and reign. And so some people have said this person's coming in the, the contrast to Christ. That's why the term Antichrist or the name Antichrist is given to this person. Also, as you go through Revelation, you're going to find out that this person uh, aligns themselves with Satan and those kind of things. And so, again, that's where that term comes from. If you've ever wondered, I've never read that in Revelation. Why do we keep hearing that? That's the idea. This person has a spirit of Antichrist about them. And again, this is where I want to pause and say lots of stuff's been written about this. Fictional books and non-fictional books have been written about this. Um, Again, everyone has different opinions on this. Um, The the scripture's clear on one key thing, though. This person will arise to power, will be an authority, and will be feared, right? And will be victorious over his enemies. And so this is part of the judgments of God. God is allowing this to take place. He, he's okay with this happening because he is fulfilling his plan. So again, I used to always wrestle, God, why would you let this guy do this if it's going to take people away from you? Or distract from you. And then I was reminded, God used Babylon, a heathen nation, to judge his own people. And God is going to do what God needs to do. And I don't, and I won't always understand the ways of God. But God is allowing this to happen. But ultimately, what is going to come out of this? People will be saved. People will come to Christ through this too. So um, we'll do the next one and then we'll pause. And then I'll open up for any questions or anything before we go to prayer time. Um, Number two. Here we see a rider on a red horse, a red horse. Uh, He removes peace from on the earth, and the people commit acts of violence, killing one another. This is a judgment of war. So there's just going to be violence and war and destruction. And again, we we can't, um, or rather we can, pretty easily imagine this, right? And we've seen horrible acts of violence in human history. Um, that's not new to us. But apparently during this season, this time, it's going to be even more so. 
even more. Uh, I'll give you the next couple, actually, because we got a couple minutes. Um, and I just realized there's only a couple points here. Uh, seal three, a rider on a black horse. Uh, this is considered a judgment dealing with famine. Uh, also, it says he carries a balance or a scale to weigh out judgment. So there's an idea of scale or, or weighing out of judgment. And then number four, we see the rider on a pale horse. Scriptures. Okay. <laughs> yeah, to me, if you say so. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Kind of like a, a zombie type looking color. Like, yeah, that's what I think of. Yeah. Um, so, and that's why he's described here. Um, he carries with him death. And uh, it says hell follows him, uh, which again is this idea of death and destruction. Um, he can kill with violence and with famine. Um, in studying this and reading different things, um, and again, this is just opinion, but some believe about a quarter of the earth's population will be killed by famine, war, and death. So we're talking within just a little bit of the beginning of this tribulation period, this time of judgment, that a large number, roughly, it could be up to a quarter of the earth's population, could be killed by famine, war, and death. It's just a time of great violence and all of this. And yet, if you read through Revelation and, and you kind of see where it's going, we have to pause and remind ourselves that this is all God's doing. Because why? We have earned this judgment. This is not unjust. This is not unmerciful. This is not God being vindictive. This is the judgment that is earned by humanity. And so, again, I know that's not pleasing to read those things, but that's what God is allowing to happen. And so, again, that's going to be a part of the, the judgment. The next section we're going to move into is actually going to deal with believers and things that happen with believers. Um, there's a beautiful imagery of heavenly worship coming up, and so we'll dive into that here in a couple of weeks. But any questions, comments, or thoughts on just this first little section before we break for prayer. So dealing kind of with that four horsemen and those kind of things. Yes, ma'am. The thing that kind of like just really is shocking to me is how helpless helpless in I don't even there's no language strong enough mm -hmm. to depict the depths of the depravity of the human soul. Mm. Mm -hmm. I mean, how hard are our hearts? Yes. That, that would take that? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. like, I don't know how anybody could believe. I mean, other than the word of God that says it. But I mean, like, you love because I first loved you. Yes. Or, you know, I mean, like, you believe because I gave you the heart to believe. I mean, we would, we're so helpless without God to even give us his character. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I think that was Paul's, that's kind of Paul's entire thesis point of Romans, right? Like that opening three chapters is really meant to reveal there is no hope of salvation apart from faith in Christ. Like, and he even says, you know, scarcely would a righteous man even die for a righteous man. So like, it's not common to see someone die for someone who's good and give your life to someone who's good. How likely is it then that we would give ourselves for the worst 
human being on planet Earth. And I always think of it this way when I try to start, when I start getting a little cocky and prideful and I think I'm, you know, I'm so much better than somebody else, but I've just known Christ. Um, and my sin is just as vile as anyone else's sin. Um, the way I think of it is, you know, imagine the sin that when someone commits this sin, it just turns your stomach. It, it makes you want to vomit. It just bothers you to any degree. Whatever that sin is and whatever, uh, whoever it involves, whatever that sin is, now you go die for them. You die for that person whose sin you can't even stand to think about without puking. But you got to go give your life for them. To me, that's what humbles me to the point to go, a thousand times that is what Jesus did for me. Because my righteousness causes him to want to vomit. So if my righteousness, my fake righteousness, but my good deeds cause him to want to throw up, then what in the world would my sin do? And yet Jesus demonstrated great love that he died for us in that while we were yet sinners. And so to me, that's always so humbling that you're absolutely right. Like how depraved, how dark is the human heart and mind that even when God is bringing great judgment to draw people to him, some people will still shake their fist at the hand or shake their, their fist at God and say, no, I don't want that. Um, I'm even the rich man in Lazarus. I think about that story in Luke where he says, would you send back Lazarus to tell my brothers about this place or my family? And Abraham says, they have the prophets, they have the law. If they don't listen to them, even if somebody comes back from the dead, they won't listen. And Jesus rose from the dead. And 2,000 years later, people are still like, yeah, I don't know. I don't believe it. No, nah, I don't really need that. I'm gonna, I'll take care of it myself. And so the arrogance, the pride of humanity is overwhelming. And so when we read this, it's, it's kind of like when people say, I can't believe God got so upset about Adam and Eve eating a piece of fruit. Like it seems a little extreme that God would punish humanity for all of human history because they ate a piece of fruit. We, when we think that, we greatly underestimate the holiness of God. And we greatly underestimate sin. And when we start to realize biblically what sin is and who God is and the holiness of God, we'll start to realize, oh, these judgments are actually pale in comparison to what we really deserve. Right. And even in uh, Ezra 9, we referenced that a few weeks ago on a Sunday night. He was talking about the judgment they just went through with Babylon and the Israelites coming through the Babylonian captivity. And he actually says, even in judging us, you were still gracious to not give us what we fully deserved. And so again, even in the Old Testament, there was an understanding of that. So, but very good. Absolutely. Yes, we're, we're in agreement on that. It kind of helps, like with the whole thing, October 7th, that's the thing that came to mind when you said turning your stomach. Mm. But I've been really trying to pray for yes. both sides. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. And I thank you for sharing that because I think we can all instantly go, okay, I'm with this side or that side. And I'm for them and against them. And, and obviously there's right and wrong. There's good and evil. And, and we can acknowledge that. Um, but no, we need to pray for all to come to repentance, right? And Paul tells Timothy, pray for all men, you know, leaders and presidents and whoever. I don't like our president as far as what he's done. I don't know the man personally. I don't like his policies, but I'm commanded and called to pray for him. Um, and so again, we pray for all who need Christ because all do. So, all right, well, let's do this. We'll dismiss from here. Um, last week we split up again and the ladies went to that room, the room that the kids use for their small group. We went to the library. Um, prayer guides are from last week, so I don't have any new ones for you. So if you didn't get one last week, there might be a couple at the welcome center. 
Um, so if you want to grab one, you can. If you'd like to join us for prayer, we're going to spend a few minutes in prayer. Uh, men in the library down at the end of the hallway, ladies in the classroom, uh, first door on your right past the restrooms. And uh, if the kids aren't done, give them just a couple of minutes. Hopefully they'll be out of here for you. Um, Hopefully, did that go well last week, praying in there? Who was in there last week? Okay, yep, okay. So hopefully that'll work for you. But if you don't want to join us for prayer, that's absolutely fine. You're welcome to hang out in the lobby, spend some time out there. The kids will be done about 8.15, all right? Let's go ahead and uh, pray, and then we'll dismiss to our time of prayer. Father, we thank you for this evening. And Lord, again, we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, I know that these are difficult things to read, and even, uh, Lord, I'll be transparent, and, and I know... There are some in this room, Lord, many uh, that are so much smarter than I am and so much more um, wise in Scripture and God's Word, especially in the area of prophecy. And, uh, Lord, I'll be honest, there's a lot of things in this book that I struggle to fully understand. And, and Lord, maybe we'll never understand it, uh, this side of heaven. Uh, But I'm thankful for the writing of God's Word that we can learn and grow and study. And, and, uh, Lord, just desire Uh, to maybe not know every detail and to be able to argue every theological point on prophecy. But Lord, maybe the goal, the the bigger goal, is to know that you are in control and that all of this is moving towards your plan and your glory. And so, Lord, we do. We lift up those around the world that need Christ. And we pray for the situation continuing in uh, Israel and with just everything going on there, Lord. We pray for salvation and repentance on both sides. And we pray for peace and we pray for comfort, for comfort for the families that have lost loved ones. Again, Lord, on both sides of this uh, uh, altercation, this war, um, Lord, I, I just pray that you'd work in those situations and that your gospel would actually go forth. Lord, we lift up just this time tonight, Lord, that we can be together in prayer. And I pray that it would be beneficial to us, Lord, as we go into this next uh, time of prayer as well. Thank you again for all that you're doing. Uh, Would you glorify your name as we lift you up? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So you guys are dismissed. Let's head on down there.